Uh, yeah, last night I watched The Disaster Artist. Very charming movie. I was very inspired. It's very <laughs> life affirming. Um, no matter how garbage you are at something, just believe in yourself and give it your all. And <laughs> even if you're you. Tommy Wiseau, <laughs> believe in yourself. Yeah. Was he also rich? Was that was that also how he got his movie made? Because he just like, like put weirdly, his own money yeah. into it. It was okay, like a okay. bot- it was it. like a bottomless um, bank account. I, I don't know what the funding is coming. He owned like prime real estate <laughs> in San Francisco, is what it was. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, everyone was leeching off of him. I thought the soundtrack was really funny too. Oh, uh, I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact that Corona songs. song, the rhythm of the night that they kept playing. <laughs> okay, I, I'm not familiar with that song, but I, I feel like that rings a chorus memory in my head. It's because you were not in high school in 1998, <laughs> and they didn't play it at your prom. Oh yeah, I was surprised by how many famous people were in that movie. It seemed like almost every bit role was played by someone quite recognizable. Well, I think that he and Seth Rogen have a lot of friends in that. Like, yeah, yeah. It seemed like that they're, they're little of, like, comedians. Posse. Yeah, yeah. The same people that are in Paper Heart. I mean, I think it's kind of relevant to this discussion because, hey, who knows if like the room came out these days? Could you imagine like the Twitter discussion that would have happened? Like the critics <laughs> would have slammed it, and then the audience, the audience score would be like ninety percent because 90%. of a, all yeah. the midnight screenings and everything. There's so much yeah. fun. Have you been to one of those? The midnight screenings? Uh, no, I just watched the room original for the first time last week in preparation oh, to watch okay. the disaster artist. I don't know. Maybe if. I watched it with friends. I, I saw that like around the city, there was all these like years after the movie came out, there's all these like midnight screenings and stuff. So there's so fun. much fun. Like people bring like spoons to throw or like mm-hmm. every time a, a, a character is poorly introduced on screen, <laughs> everyone shouts, who the hell are you? <laughs> I wish though that I'd watched the original without having watched any of the most infamous clips on YouTube because I've already seen the funniest scenes many, many Mm, times on YouTube. So it lost that effect on me. I saw it when it premiered on um, Adult Swim, like Uh years and years ago in grad school. My roommate came out of his room one morning and just said, have you ever heard of this movie called The Room? And I said, no. And he said, (gasps) he's like, I got this phone call in the middle of the night. Someone told me to turn on Adult Swim and watch this movie. And then he was like, you got to check this out. Like, it's it's like ridiculous. And then from there, it was like, I saw that. And then like people started talking about it in like film class and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's when I was in the MFA program. And then like all of a sudden there were like midnight screenings at all these movie theaters. Wow. That must have been magical because you didn't know what to expect. Because as I said, I saw like... The oh hi Mark scene, the you're tearing me apart Lisa scene. <laughs> but I had not, one golden scene I had not seen uh, is the highly underrated uh, in a few minutes bitch scene in the, where he's hiding in the bathroom. I laughed so hard when I saw that. And I, that was a preview of what the whole movie could have been for me if I w- went into it totally blind. But unfortunately. Once in a while you get these really like raw cult experiences, right? I think the, I feel mm-hmm. like the last one before that for me was Napoleon Dynamite. When that like blew up. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't seen that. It's like one oh, of those man. really famous movies that I, I haven't seen. <laughs> you know what they used to say is that uh, apparently on, on Netflix, you know how you can like rate movies on Netflix and it'll give you other movies based on what you rate it. Apparently Napoleon Dynamite, the rating you give that movie is the most consequential action you can take on Netflix in terms of determining what you should watch next. Eek. So, All right. Yeah. Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It's just a very divisive movie, I think. As we're about to discuss, right? Yeah. Speaking of which, let's let's dive into the introduction. I don't think we we've done that yet. So, um... Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Unverified Accounts. I'm Chris, here with Liza and Philip. What's up guys? Hello. Hey. And if you like our pod, please remember to give us a five-star review and recommend us to your friends and spread the word. And as we said, the topic for this pod will be about this divide between critics and audience, which I'm sure will only get worse as time goes on. And we <laughs> see this in a lot of movies, which have a very big discrepancy in the critics' audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. We'll talk a few about a few of those movies. And just kind of what's behind it, our theories and all that. But as we all know, it's it's been an eventful week. We all know what's happening in the stock market. We're not, 
at least I'm not any any like stock market expert. My my investment philosophy is ETF and chill. So I'm not gonna. I don't think if you want to know more about the market, go go listen to something else. Our, our friends over at Planet, I think, have done an episode. Some uh, Bitcoin like weirdos probably have some very in depth things to say. But I think there's some angles to this whole GameStop thing that we can discuss for a quick little while. This is one of the things about this story that I thought found so fascinating is that it's it's so far largely devoid of like any of the usual stuff that we discuss in this pod, like identity politics and try to make it about gender and sex. I think you pointed out, Chris, that there are some people online who are trying to bring up those aspects of it. But I would love to see this continue along as just like a revolt against the elites and not anything related to, you know, being black or whatever. Yeah, it should be noted that anyone that brings up ID politics in this uh, conversation, uh, in this situation, the GameStop stock situation, Mm -hmm. they're definitely using it to discredit yeah, yeah, we, we knew that because um, the Discord that the, the Wall Street Bets people were using to communicate got shut down. I don't know if it was momentarily or it's still shut down, but it was a shutdown on the basis of hate speech, which is extremely suspicious, <laughs> especially given that it's Wall Street, uh, known for the proud history of uh, you know very enlightened talk. It was like, right. really, at this time, you're going to clamp down on that? There was just this Newsweek article that came out, which says that far-right extremists and like anti-Semites are using this to whip up hatred against the Jews. But it's like 95% of countries united in in this thing. So that's like saying, did you know that, uh, you know, 10% of voters in general or, or some other big uh, population, uh, I don't know, commit crimes or, or, or murderers or thieves? Like, well, duh, if you cast that big a net, you're going to catch some, some you know, dregs. <laughs> Uh, so you know this is coming. And we saw tweets that were mocking. Uh, what was the thing that you found, Liza, I think? It was something about a prospective New York Times article. Um, <laughs> it was a joke. It was a joke tweet. Yeah, it was yeah. a joke. Thank God. But it, it has something to do with probably something like, oh, Wall Street Bets is like too straight, white, and male. Like, where are all the minorities benefiting from this? <laughs> so you know it's coming, and you know that it can be quite effective um, if we look at how, where the biggest... Uh, stumbles that say the bernie sanders campaign had uh in the primaries was probably when elizabeth warren charged him with uh sexism that thing the whole like, is it, was it a stumble though was it a stumble what i mean is like stumble makes it sound like it was like bernie it was like bernie's fault oh, true, himself true. for overlooking it when actually it was like very a concerted effort to just shut him down yeah by making it a problem and then in 2016 it was constantly about you know, Bernie doesn't talk enough about minorities, doesn't talk enough about women. So, you <laughs> he know, this tactic- Medicare for all. <laughs> right. But I think that's kind of the issue here, right? Because, like, all includes some what, people. So, that Medicare you don't for like. all is like all lives matter? Kind of. I think that thing is, <laughs> uh, you know, all, we actually don't want all to be included. We we want some people punished. We want to see them suffer. No one's, dude, no one's saying that, man. No one's actually saying that, right? I think, I, that- but I think there is this, like, feeling among some people, which is why. Uh, when you say something like, um, you know, Medicare for all or like we're all in this together, they, that's why you can start dividing them by saying, well, you know what, that includes some like far right people on the militia in Idaho. You want them to benefit too. And I think it works on some people. So we just have to be constantly on the lookout for that. I don't know. I don't think that there was any particular critique of M4A. It was just a matter of like liberals wanting their particular chosen champion to win and maybe deliver M4A or something close to it rather than Bernie, who's too far left. That's how, that's how I feel on it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so moving on, uh, some other news. Um, so this Netflix, is it a show or a movie that Raya and the... And the it's a movie. It's, it's a movie. the new okay. Pixar movie. Okay, so, it, but it's coming straight on, on Netflix, right? It's not no, Disney. Theaters. Oh, Disney Plus? Yeah, Raya's oh, going to yeah, come oh, out yeah, on course. Disney. And you got to pay extra for it, right? Like Mulan? Yeah, but like uh, what we learned from the Mulan thing, because I paid the $30 to watch it, is that mm-hmm. three months later, it's free with your with your Disney Plus subscription. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just wait till summer when it's free, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing some uh, grumblings about how this is set in kind of a hodgepodge Southeast Asia, I think, a bit of Filipino, a bit of like Malaysian or whatever things uh but I, I think the lead is played by your favorite actress liza kelly marie tran but you got i think daniel day kim um, isn't she, isn't she he's joking yeah i'm joking <laughs> uh I with gemma make chan that clear in case this is your first episode uh yeah. gemma chan and and some other people of like korean or chinese descent and 
Doesn't Gemma Chan have、um, a British accent though? Uh, yeah. So I mean, like for voice acting though, like why is she gonna play a Southeast Asian? Well, well that, that is a good question, I suppose. But I, I, I think the people had a problem with it. Didn't care about that accent. They cared about the fact that she was East Asian. So is Daniel Day Kim and maybe some others on the cast. So there's this.、Uh, yeah, but the lead isn't right. The lead is not. So. Like, yeah, but I think they want it 100. I think they want it 100. Okay, well let's let me say this. I'm Vietnamese. I don't give a shit. I think it's fine. Well, you're a sellout, <laughs> Philip. Then, and you you deserve to be burned at the stake as a compromise. I'm actually with Philip. It's just voice acting. Who cares? Yeah, no, I'm I'm on、We、I'm on that side that. too. It's not even who cares. It's just the fact that like, hey, it's already a great thing that we've got you know more roles for Asian Americans. Period. Right. Or, or, right. or specifically in this case, Southeast、uh, Asian Americans. Yeah, even even Mary Trans、uh, roles is fantastic. So yeah. But I, I, it goes to this further discussion of well, you, do you have to match the ethnicity of the character you're playing, which I think is absolutely ridiculous because it's just so limiting. I don't know. Like I watch tons of Japanese anime movies that are voiced by white actors for the American dubs. Oh, you know that's、works. coming next. You know that. Like I don't know why it matters.、Next. Like Howl's Mo- Moving Castle, where it's like the lead is voiced by Christian Bale. It's fine to me. But it's weird. It's like sometimes like Japanese, you know, animation will have white characters, right? Like ostensibly European characters, like in、uh, Fullmetal Alchemist or Attack on Titan. So, like, would you should we have like a white person voicing them at that point, and like should be yeah, specifically a- Germanic, or you know, how how <laughs> at what point do you get to the level of accuracy that will satisfy these fucking blue checks? Yeah, and the, the, you know, especially when it's like voice acting, you can't even see the person, and you know, they they just sound you know, quote unquote American, which is like a flat, basically American sounding、accent. kind of yeah, Midwestern so, white. It, In the end, what what differences make? Except as like a jobs opportunity thing, which you know, again, is, I guess it's kind of fair if you're in the industry, but it's not it doesn't rise to the level like civil rights movements、yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and, and I think what you're you're trying to get at, Chris, is that they're very selective about when it's a problem, right? Yeah, because、right. hey,、uh, in Crazy Rich Asians, the character of Nick Young is supposed to be ethnically Chinese, and they got a half white, half like Malaysian guy to play it. So hey, you know, is that okay? Yeah, it's like hey, you took one of ours, you know, from the yellows. Do we get one of yours? It's like no, it shouldn't really matter if unless it, it like really bothers with your suspension of disbelief. Or Nick Santos, that Filipino actor. It's like, what's he doing there in this Chinese family? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. I get where they're coming from because I think ultimately it comes down to kind of like this this envy, especially of like Koreans who have all this attention.、Uh, when it comes to like something Asian,、uh, at least right now, everyone cares about Korea. So I I get that, but the the, the kind of like social justice language they try to encase their their arguments and don't stand up. And wait, but are you saying like, that their their arguments would be more legitimate if they didn't use like terms like problematic and you know representation? I think if they just came out and said,、yes. "Hey, we want some attention too." I'd be like, you know what? Okay, I get it. At, At least, least you're being honest. honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they say you have to be a Vietnamese American to understand this made-up Southeast <laughs> Asian culture to get the mystical connection of your character, like get the fuck out of here. You know, it's a bit patronizing you, too, right? Yeah, you, you can't even speak like Vietnamese or Malay or whatever. <laughs> so it's like, what do you know?、Um, all right, so moving on.、Um, oh, actually, I just want to say this one thing. Apparently, Joe Biden has an executive action, like. Having a stern language against anti-Asian American violence, which of course we know will do nothing. I read through it. It just says best practices for you know law enforcement. Like what the hell does that mean? What's the best practice? Like stop using the term like chinker. That's what he like, used what? an executive <laughs> order for. Yeah. What, best what, practices. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm like asking、that. seriously. Like what? What did it say? I I didn't read it. Like what? I think it's up to each、uh, like unit or department. So you know who knows what that really means, and you know it's going to be coupled with、uh, escalating soft and hell, maybe even like semi-hard war on on China. So this is all. I'm very suspicious of these types of like initiatives, which really seem to be telling Asian Americans, "Oh, you know what? You're you're one of the good ones. We'll, we'll protect you.、Uh, you know, just just give us、sure. that、uh, inside info on on your people. You know, sure. But、like、but going back to the order, like the, these orders often can like you know start a task force or like you know force them to put a certain amount of money into something, right?、Mm-hmm. Like, well, maybe not the money part because that's usually congressional. So what did it actually tell these different you know sub police groups to do? Well, from what I read, it's like、uh, don't do racism and、uh, talk <laughs>、okay. over and and do best practices. That that was it. There's really nothing more specific than that. Okay. So, a、yeah. whole executive order for that. <gasps> yeah. It looked it looked good on the headlines. So.、Mm-hmm. All right. So let's、uh, let's dive into this topic that we want to do, which I think actually has a link to the whole、uh, GameStop thing because 
that whole thing is essentially populism versus the elites. And mm-hmm. our topic mm-hmm. today is kind of about the same thing. Populism being the average movie fan who might go and vote on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb or just voice their opinions on Twitter versus the the verified critics who um, sometimes uh, are in stark opposition to them. It's really, really funny when there when there's a huge discrepancy. Yeah, so we picked a few movies uh, to start that have big uh, discrepancies and have actually um, caused a lot of dialogue. So why don't we start with the obvious one, which is The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Star Wars The Last Jedi. Tomato meter, uh, the critics' consensus was 90%, with 474 critics chiming in. Audience score was at a low of 42%. With 223,019 people chiming in. That is a lot. <laughs> that is, that a, is lot. a lot. It is very, uh, it is rather small compared to Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which we'll talk about later. But this is more <laughs> consequential because, like, I, I don't know, like a million times more people saw this more movie. More people saw mm-hmm. this, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. People care and, about Star Wars. And it, it's part of a, a broader power struggle going on at Lucasfilm right now, apparently, which I just recently learned about because. The Last Jedi, I thought, was a perfectly okay movie. Wasn't that much worse than uh, The Force Awakens, which I didn't like either. And I didn't even see The Rise of Skywalker. Didn't bother to see it. <laughs> um, nice. I, I really don't give a damn about The Mandalorian. I don't plan on seeing it. I love it. The Mandalorian. Uh, you, you, you would love it, Chris. You would love it. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I got other shows to watch. Maybe I'll get around to it. I don't even have Disney+. Plus, so okay. If anti-series me can watch the two seasons of The Mandalorian and love it, you can do it too. Mm-hmm. True. And I honestly am not even that big of a fan of the original <clears throat> except for A New Hope, mainly because I think the Battle of Yavin is so cool. So I really don't care about Luke Skywalker and, and his need to be preserved. I always thought he was kind of lame. So I, if they... <laughs> I have okay, an so, X-Wing tattoo. Yes. Uh, oh, damn. Yeah, um, that is quite cool. But... um. So anyway, I learned about this whole Civil War thing. So just to give a gist of it. So the Mandalorian Season 2 just ended. It climaxed with Luke Skywalker uh, being a badass in the final scene. Audiences loved it. And then there was this whole controversy because one of the heads at Lucasfilm, this guy named Pablo Hidalgo, uh, was visibly upset by this audience uh, joy, which is very weird, right? If it's like, it's your company, you just made this product and people love it. Why are you upset? <laughs> yeah, you, you approved the story. Right, you right. proved this going out, or you could have vetoed it if you didn't like yeah. it. Yeah, so you know, I did. I did a bit more reading, um, and apparently, the, the reason why he was upset was that there's like two camps in Lucasfilm. There's the whole uh, new trilogy camp, which people call like it's the, the, the SJW Kennedy. camp. Uh, yeah, and then the new camp, which is the John Favreau and who's the other guy? Um, Dave something. I think Dave Filoni. I think that's his name. Yes, They're, that's correct. They're more. I'm on the, their team, on the Favreau Filoni team. So they're more uh, pro old school Star Wars, I guess. And the big dividing point is apparently Luke Skywalker and what to do with him. And I did I did a bit more research. Apparently, the whole point of the Disney trilogy was uh, kill off the these, old white guys, right? Right, and particularly Luke Skywalker, who symbolizes, I guess, the oppressive system of old, and which is why uh, he was cast off. And you know, kind of like the Last Jedi is useless. And then Mandalorian season two now brings him back and makes him the new focal point. And the audience has loved Luke Skywalker coming back. Yeah, it was like a it was like a symbolic return. Right. And learning about this made the whole critical uproar over The Last Jedi, or more specifically, the accusations that the audience was too stupid to understand The Last Jedi, or that there were Russian bots involved. And these and I saw like so many like blue check types. Uh, go so hard for The Last Jedi when it came out. Like, these people who really wouldn't have cared about, you know, Star Wars in general, but they would say, The Last Jedi is like a masterpiece, one of the top two Star Wars movies ever made. It's like, why do you care so much about this movie? <laughs> it was during, it was after The Last Jedi came out that I started to notice everyone, every single critic had to reevaluate the ranking of Star Wars movies. Yeah. So, like, before it was pretty much indisputable that Star Wars, the first one, which uh, I guess you would call it a new hope now, was the best one. And I all think Empire Strikes like, Back is the consensus number one. And, like, everybody, everyone that was pro, like, The Last Jedi decided to put The Last Jedi at the very, very top. And it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. No. <laughs> and it's just, like, yeah, it's, it's 
and it was so obvious that there was some kind of concerted effort, but I just, I just couldn't un- couldn't understand why. Hey, this is just like they didn't even go this hard for say something like Ghostbusters, which was, <laughs> uh, you know, like the spearhead of this whole. Well, Star Wars is more beloved, and right. it, it's got more clout in uh in like pop culture. Yeah, so it, it struck me as very odd. But now after reading about this uh, internal like civil war and what it represents in in like society in general, which I think is this. Like I, I was talking with some friends of mine. And I was wondering, like, all these people who are now trying to, who are part of like the Kathleen Kennedy camp, like, are, are they even really big fans of Star Wars? I don't. No, they're not. Favreau and Filoni, they actually take like the designs and the sketches straight from Ralph Macquarie's, um, all of his designs, and like they're they're who, bringing who's that? them. That's like the original, like one of the original designers, like conceptual artist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that they're taking his sketchbook and they're just bringing to life a lot of the designs that they were never able to use either because of budget or time constraints, and they're using those. And like the whole um, Mandalorian tagline, "This is the way," mm-hmm. that is John Favreau throwing shade at uh, the Kathleen Kennedy <laughs> SJW camp at Lucasfilm. You know the How people do you know that, that stand. Are you, just, are you just did he say that or did someone? Is well, I think it's just- pretty obvious from from. When he that like even I can even I can discern that I'm not even that plugged into Star Wars. Mm. Oh, anyway, yeah. So I've always wondered like if you're even if you're just like a casual fan of Star Wars, like why would you invest so much? You know, going to work for Lucasfilm and helming these big projects. Why not just create your own thing? And the more I think about it, their their behavior kind of reminds me of corporate raiders in that they'll because I, <laughs> I think before the new Star Wars trilogy came out, it was a weak franchise. You know, in that. You know, everyone just like made fun of the prequels. That was like the last thing people remembered. And, but it the had prequels like. Prequels aren't that bad. Only Phantom well, Menace is bad. Yeah. I mean, people, <laughs> I think, especially with the new trilogy having come out, people have reassessed the prequels. Reevaluated again. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like if, if you're a corporator, you, you identify like, like a failing company that still has like decent, you know, like a good fan base, it might have, you know, some. Lots of brick and mortar places that you might, you know, convert when you to, say like, corporate raider, do you mean like a man, like a management consultant, like someone from McKinsey or like George Clooney's character and Up in the Air? Like um, that? I haven't seen Up in the Air, but you know, like uh, like those like guys from the '80s who who would just like you know just buy out uh, just like weak companies and uh, like you're talking about like PE firms, basically, right? They're trying to salvage like something, like remaining value from a corporation. Yeah, something like that, yeah. and. You know, it's essentially like a hostile takeover of a of a, of a franchise that has name recognition, um, has done a lot of legwork in establishing itself, but now you can convert it to whatever you want it to be, and it seems like they. Oh, wanted... I see what you mean. Okay, I was wrong. Okay, um, as you can see, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a big Wall Street expert. But <laughs> so they they go in there, and now they have everything kind of like it's it's like a prefabricated building, kind of. Mm-hmm. And they go in and, and they can like tweak a few things. And I, I guess what they wanted was to kill Luke Skywalker and install Rey, which is their avatar of all their ideology. <laughs> which is also funny because in the end, Rey is quite vanilla. She's like a pretty skinny white girl who ends up with Adam Driver, who is like the heartthrob for this crowd. So, yeah, real revolutionary people, at least like. Well, um, they also tried to push like um, Finn and Poe, which like. You know, by by the time Rise of Skywalker came around, weren't they trying to push them as like some sort of like best friend, like a gay version of Han Solo and Chewbacca? I think the 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 like gay best friend piece was mostly like online fan fandom, like almost like fanfic. They were they were definitely trying to push them as like you know buddy buddy, but I don't know if it was like intentionally done by the writers, right? But certainly the fans grasped onto it. I see. Mm-hmm. At least as a couple, like as like a, as a potential romantic couple, that was all very fan based. Yeah, so so I think the Last Jedi is a symbolic of like critics using uh, like this franchise to enact th- their ideology and then reacting very badly. I don't know audience. if it's I don't know if it's even their ide- ideology. It's more like that they know that there's this ideology out there that wants to see more SJW oriented films, so they're going to put in these sort of changes to make a whole fuck ton of money, which they did on these movies. Um, well, the, well, not as much as they could have, right? Because, I mean, each movie made less than the last one, and th- that's kind of why they had to scramble with The Mandalorian, apparently, because they knew that... I mean, yeah, it made a lot of money, but if you're Star Wars, you should be making multiple billions, not just one billion, mm. kind of, uh, that kind of scope. But, yeah. um, 
we haven't talked really about like Rian Johnson's involvement because he was a guy who like was apparently responsible for making the Last Jedi, the second movie here, like very different. Like he had tweeted about how it was going to be a very different ride from what had come before, which I didn't find was the case. But like, what was his involvement? Like, Liza, do you know if he was like writing a lot of this stuff or? I don't you know. know. Yeah, I mean, for, from the stuff I've seen, um, I mean, this was really stupid how each movie was independently written like jj abrams wrote force awakens then rian johnson did the last jedi but there yeah. was no collaboration between the two i know i, I thought think- that no i thought that jj uh, abrams had like kind of overall like kind of overall direction on the the meta narrative throughout the three movies but the actual nitty-gritty writing was done by like you know and directing was done by like rian johnson and whoever did the last she, one i think that might be true but i think then johnson just totally ignored it so there was no real enforcement <laughs> mechanism to be like, yeah. hey, th- this is the overall story we have. We know where it's going to begin in the first movie. And we know where it's going to end in the third movie. And then it, it, there seemed to have been none of that. Or if it was, nobody really kept anyone uh, to hold yeah. it, which is why they got really desperate in the last Skywalker or not uh, Rise of Skywalker. And, and they had to bring back the Emperor. You know, cause they had no bad guy. Oh left. God, yeah, <laughs> There's definitely some shit in this trilogy that was like th- some shit was poorly planned and they had to inject a lot of stuff and some stuff that may, may seem suspiciously like, you know, pandering to the, the, the modern fan base. Like one thing that like I would have actually really liked The Last Jedi if they didn't have that stupid casino planet. If they just got Can't rid of that whole... Yeah, yeah. It if they got so it, and bad. I think a lot of people felt that way too. Who who like didn't like the movie? They're like, if they have gotten rid of that, because you lose and, the momentum of the yeah, movie there, and maybe shorten so the, the the final battle on like the crystal salt planet, then it would have been a pretty concise, snappy Star Wars movie. But a lot of it take felt away like it was, that very last scene too. The little Michael Jackson, little kid dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I think it also shows maybe the critics don't even believe in what. The, the you know the that wing of Lucasfilm is doing, but they're also cowed mm-hmm. into silence, right? That's probably another thing. Why don't we use that to kind of move on to what? I, I, I want to say one more thing about the movie, oh, yeah, sure. which I think it has not really been addressed that much, aside from like blowing up a controversy. Um, so one thing about this movie and the discrepancy was that there was claims that there was all this kind of um, you know brigading from fans or bombarding from bots on the Rotten Tomato score. Because a you bunch mean to of, purposefully like, drive it down, drive down the score because because um, you know these like alt right boys on the internet didn't like the movie, um, and and there was actually a, a claim about this right because like someone on a Facebook group that was made to like push down like beat down on our Marvel and Disney films had said that he was going to do this. He claimed he was going to do this, right? I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm sure one man really put in like two hundred. Twenty-three thousand. Well, yeah, but the claim was that he was going to use like bots and something like. They're not Russian bots, by the way. This is like probably an American um, coming in to do this. So that was the claim that was made, and then a bunch of uh, articles are written, including on like Polygon and I think on uh, Variety and so on, to talk about um, you know, oh, this 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 like group of suddenly it's like a group of alt-right white guys online are going to bombard the scores, and in the end, it turns out. From Ron Tomatoes himself, they said that, you know, our security team looked into all this stuff. Nothing seems to be, uh, you know, amiss, right? It was like the, the bad scores were legitimate bad scores from legitimately, you know, logged in humans um, as far as they could tell. So that's really interesting, right? Because like all these outlets kind of jumped on the story of like, oh, my God, maybe the score is being bombarded. I think a lot of people remember this story as a mm-hmm. case of like maybe Russian, maybe just like racist bombardment. Uh, online but in the end i think there was no proof of that right and then time and time again sucks yeah it turns out the movie (laughs) just sucks and a lot of people pointed that out in the reviews and so on right there was even screenshots from like fucking 4chan where 4chan guys were like nope it wasn't us like the movie just is just (laughs) shitty you know they would love to take credit you know how kind of like isis takes credit for everything like uh, (laughs) a guy like stubs a toe in paris like yeah we did that yeah we did that was a yeah but but it's interesting to see this because it, 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 I think it really um, like shows how these these critics want a certain narrative about like these kind of like shady dealings to be true when really there's no actual proof for it, right? But since the Last Jedi, I think that this idea of like angry, racist, sexist fan bombardment has become like a meme almost, right, in those circles. 
Yeah, so. it, it prevents them from ever having to examine their own work. Any, anything yeah, goes yeah. bad, it's the it's a bot's fault. Yep. Um, I, hopefully, it's kind. That was also at the height of RussiaGate, um, when people still took it very seriously. Hopefully, that's kind of, you know, quelled it. But I also think it's it's a very psychologically comforting thing. It's funny to think that like someone uh, like the FSB over in Moscow is like spending all their time writing fake <laughs> reviews of the Last Jedi. Yet. <laughs> Considering how much division it has caused in American media, that's actually probably a good use of their time. Probably better than, uh, you know, like a lot of the other espionage work. Low effort uh, and high payoff. Yeah. You're so just feeding actually, into it now. You're feeding into the now. <laughs> I'm encouraging them. No, I, but, but, but that's why it's believable, them. right? I'm just saying like there has been no evidence that it's true. And I also don't think it's true. I'm just hypothesizing like, what would I do if I were like Russian uh, intelligence? Um, we're going to get emails actually, now. <laughs> I actually think um that, that's a good discussion like who are these critics uh and why why do they why do they do this I have my theory but I want to get to it a little bit later I want to talk about some of these other movie discrepancies first sure. mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. right uh let's let's talk about never rarely sometimes never then this movie in case <laughs> this you don't is know so funny you, you said uh, you said never really sometimes never <laughs> no never no. rarely sometimes always yeah did there I repeat go. never there you go you're good that fucking title it's just really hard <laughs> to say <laughs> Um, so this movie uh, came out last year, and it's about this girl, teenage girl who gets pregnant in rural Pennsylvania, but she can't get an abortion in Pennsylvania without her parents' approval, and she has kind of like neglectful slash abusive parents. So she and her cousin hop on a bus to New York City and try to get an abortion there, but uh, yeah, they run into some obstacles, so they're kind of like lost in the city for a, a few nights. I love this movie. I thought it was really well done. Uh, Liza, wh- what were your thoughts again? <laughs> Um, okay, so I, I actually, I don't think it's a bad movie, but I did hate it. Um, I thought that the realism was too much. Like, we're, we're literally watching people go to the bathroom and sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so <laughs> boring. The message is fine, but it's just, it's so, it's so boring. Anyway, uh, here we go. The tomato meter discrepancy. Um, according to critics, it was Ooh. 99% fresh by 209 critics. Mm-hmm. And the audience score, 20%. With a oh, user rating man. of seven hundred fifty people, so I, I'm, I'm with the, I'm with the eighty percent of the audience that hates this movie. <laughs> wait, wait. Uh, before we get there, Philip, what were your thoughts? You saw this movie too. I really liked the movie. I actually really enjoyed how much of a slow burn it was. I thought it was actually very relevant. I like slow burn. The, movies. the extra. Uh, no, and I'm, I'm not dissing your 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 take on it. I'm just saying, like, it's actually kind of interesting to see them show things that are completely mundane, like them killing time at the at the um you know at the arcade or going to the washroom trying to freshen up you know because they have nowhere to stay because those are relevant parts of this experience of being a like you know outsider young girl who has to go to the big scary city and like deal with this unwanted pregnancy and like have to deal with like all the fucking terrible things that come with it like not having money to get back to your home or like not having money to stay at a hotel so it, I, I thought all those parts were extremely salient it didn't feel like it was too long to me yeah. Also, didn't we agree that Philip would be the tiebreaker? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We win. We win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that actually kind of it was, a, I guess, almost a perverse way of me enjoying this movie was to see like a New York City that was normal, mm-hmm. even though it was very bleak. Like they're like trying to sleep on the floor of Port Authority, which is is a very desperate situation Gross. to be yep. in. Yeah. But I saw it. I'm like, oh, you know, those are the days. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was beautifully well made. Uh, well made. Um, actually, even entertaining. I, I was gripped uh, for every second. Mm-hmm. But you know, taste can differ. Let's talk about this huge discrepancy because wow, oh my god, I haven't seen anything that big since like Nanette. Like Nanette <laughs> almost has like a a slight. I think has a slightly bigger, and we could talk about that a bit later. But I'm just surprised because I think the the knee jerk reaction would be these are a bunch of misogynists who hate this movie about. Uh, you know the how a patriarchal society uh, puts these uh, young girls in peril because, um, you know, she, uh, the guy who impregnates her is a total jerk, like her classmate. He's, her... he's only implied, though, right? Yeah. Oh, right, right. I was, I was assumed that it was like some guy she hooked up with in her school, but some people say it could be the stepdad. Which yeah, is because horrible. there's that weird scene with the stepdad that, like, when he has like his feet, I don't know, just. Yeah, and he, he yeah. makes some comment about the dog, like, oh, she's yeah. not a, a slut or something. Uh, so, yeah, there are like all sorts of, you know, fucked up things about what it's like to be, you know, a girl in our society. So you would think that that's who's brigading it. But you compare it to a, a movie like Promising Young Woman, much more mainstream. And mm-hmm. this is the type of movie that is primed to be brigaded. 
Yet, I'm looking at it, 91% on tomato and verified audience, 88, and all audience, 86. So pretty much dead So even. acclaim, all around acclaim. That was, that was, sorry, that was for Promising Young Woman? Yeah. Promising so I, I, Young Woman, yeah. Got it. No, okay. so, so for this movie, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, I watched it because it was so recommended to me by a bunch of people that I trust. Um, and then I watched it and like hated it. So I, it's out of curiosity, I wanted to... I never read reviews of movies or articles about them until after I watch it. So I went went over to Flickster on my phone and pulled up the Rotten Tomatoes score and saw that 99% fresh versus the audience score of 20%. And I was like, okay, so I'm not the only one that didn't like <laughs> yeah. this movie. Well, did you guys, did you read the reviews, the audience reviews? Sorry. Not until after. So I, I read, I actually clicked through every single page on um, Rotten Tomatoes for the audience score, and I read all the ones that were like one star, two star reviews. Um, first of all, it doesn't seem like there's 750 of them. It seems like you can only see a fewer fewer number, and it definitely felt like this the total wouldn't have been like 20 percent. There's actually a lot of like four or five star reviews from um, uh, audience members. But anyway, the consensus was actually roughly what you said, Liza, where people felt like it was too slow and like the dialogue and stuff was like either non-existent or like too realistic. You know, it, it was really the same complaints yeah, about so it being I, just not entertaining, right? I, I need, I need some, I, yeah, I need some entertainment. Otherwise, it's like, I don't know. Like, I guess we all watch movies for different reasons. I like yeah. the spectacle. I like the grandiose. I like the, the the melodrama. You know, I like soaring, you know, soaring scores and like mm-hmm. lots of uh, cool action uh, scenes. Like, you know, some hijinks. If it's going to be a road movie, a road trip movie, yeah. Yeah, it is a very muted, bleak. There's hardly any dialogue. I I don't remember many words, which is actually why I liked it. It's like oh, they sit you, there you, and stare at each other in the bus station, and then like we have to watch them pee and sleep. Maybe this is how seventeen-year-old girls communicate with each other now, right? Like they ignore each other. Let's and, like, make go more on their movies about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't. There aren't very many movies about. It. The point is that this is one that stands out, right? And like maybe it's a a, a nice kind of. Um, encapsulation of what that's actually like and you don't see that a lot so yeah it just it just seems like such an odd movie to to get uh if it is brigaded which i i don't think it is because i said just i don't look think at so. no, I don't think it's, no it's a fucking art house film why would you think can you just leave like a one star review or a one star rating but not write a review because maybe that's I where it comes so. from i think so maybe score? yeah Maybe, but it's like okay. So if you're a vengeful like 4chan, why would you go after this movie, which like nobody has really seen? Wait, but has anyone claimed that, dude? Young- has anyone claimed that? Like, but that's what this- we're getting at, isn't it? Is it that they're not like these these Rotten Tomato audience scores are not getting? They're not a result of trolling. It's like some movies, uh, people, the audience just, don't just like- really disagrees with the critics. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Except in this case, where you guys take the elitist approach. Uh, all right, so uh, we talked about promising young woman. I, I did not plan to talk about this because we already did a whole episode on it. But there's this like whole controversy that came up because some critic named Dennis Harvey for Variety gave the movie a positive review, but said that Carrie Mulligan wasn't quite convincing as a femme fatale, and thought that since Margot Robbie was a producer, thought maybe the role had been intended for her. And Carrie Mulligan, in a recent interview, said she felt like he he was saying she wasn't hot enough and that caused variety to issue an apology for the review and the oh critic- wait so he never actually said that carrie mulligan isn't hot enough to play no, the she, role said that. she said that yeah, in she an said interview it. later yeah yeah he just said oh. that um she she didn't pull off as i said that femme fatale role as convincing as he thought maybe a margot robbie could uh, disagree is- disagree with him yeah, yeah, and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, a critic can say that. He can be wrong, yeah, but that doesn't yeah. mean you have to apologize for him. And and I don't think he was saying that. You're right. That I don't think he needed to wasn't. apologize for it either. Well, he didn't. Variety did on his, like, for publishing the review. And he's actually standing up for himself, which I think is good. And I also thought it was very funny where he said, for God's sake, I'm a 60 year old gay man. I don't go around comparing the relative hotness of young actresses. <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. But it, I think it's just like, why. I mean, it's a, and then um, this uh, writer named Alyssa Rosenberg, who's, you know, she's, she's definitely not some like pick me writer, I think. But she just wrote something in Washington Post saying that, hey, in the movies, an actress's appearance is fair game because that's the nature of the business. A lot of times you got to look the part. You wouldn't cast 
like uh, like a Chris Hemsworth as an emaciated poet was one example <laughs> she gave. I think she has a point uh, where at this see like I, I get where. Carrie Mulligan's probably coming from in that she's a veteran of the movie industry. She's probably seen some very bad shit. And mm-hmm. a lot of like horrible, creepy producers have said all sorts of, you know, or directors, other actors have said that the stuff about her. But a critic should be able to say something pretty fair saying, you probably don't fit the role. Um, mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. I just don't think you fit the role. And if that has something to do with your appearance, well, that's the whole reason you got cast probably in the first place because someone thought you did fit the role. So now we're not allowed to question that. And then, yeah. Anyway, what are you guys' thoughts? I, I actually think um, that uh, I agree a little bit with the the original critic who said that like she fe- felt a little bit out of place as a femme fatale role. And I, but I don't think it was because of her being not attractive enough or whatever. I think it's actually because of like the um, makeup artists and the uh, the people handling the wardrobe. Like her character had she, her character was supposed to be thirty. Right or coming up on thirty, and she looked way older, which which is a comment that actually my wife made first before myself, and she said like she's thirty five like, in real life, right? Yeah, she's yeah not that far off, right? But she looked a lot older, and like a just a lot of it felt like it came down to makeup in her outfits that they had chosen for her, and I I understand she's supposed to be a bit of a quirky outsider character, so maybe she has strange you know dress, but like that that was an issue, I think, and so I can see why this critic said that. Um, yeah, that, that was that, that was my take, Philip. I was just thinking when you said like she looked a little slightly too old for a role. I was, I was gonna say, oh, they're gonna get you for being a misogynist. I don't know. <laughs> I, I also think. I mean, I also think that the 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 uh, crit- critique of the critique is a bit strange too, because it's kind of saying like this movie is like she goes around, you know, trying to be pretend to be really drunk and trying to get kind of like taken home by, um, you know, pred- predatory men, right? Are they implying that like unhot women would not face the same issue, <laughs> right? Like yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, that's, it, um... It's all. It's all. This whole thing's like a minefield, right? Like to even talk about like looks and how it relates to sexual assault and so on. Yeah. So. And here's another minefield. Isn't it rather demeaning to actresses to say like, "Oh, we actually aren't going to actually critique your craft because." It's all about your self-esteem. That's what matters in the end. Yeah. And this reminds me of, um, so there's a tennis player named Taylor Townsend. And she's like, last time I checked, like probably like four or five years ago, she was like top 30. So she's not, she's not like a William sister or like a, a superstar, but she was like, you know, one of the top US players. Sure. Uh, but she was always kind of heavy. And a lot of people were like, you know, she's like, I don't know, ranked 15 in the world. She could be like number one if she dropped like, say, 15 pounds. And so many people got offended saying oh she's she's already good you know you know she's a she why does she need to get dinner if she's already like you know 50 the top 15 but it's like she's a fucking athlete like every athlete could probably it would do better uh you know being lighter if you know, as an athlete very few positions because maybe like linemen and football would it help you to carry additional weight and and fat and i yeah, thought that was so demeaning it's a weird comment it's like you're saying that people who are fit are better at doing things that require you to be fit <laughs> yeah, you know? and I thought it was so demeaning to women athletes because what you're saying is what you do as an athlete doesn't really matter. Uh, it's all about your feelings, and because like okay, male athletes get scrutinized for like being fat all the time, and it just becomes like a source of joke, even if they weren't actually fat, like someone like Frank Lampard uh, of Chelsea, and because that's their job. Your job is to be uh, like the top point oh 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 one percent of physical specimen in the world. Mm-hmm. And and to say that you can't criticize a female athlete's weight uh, when it's clearly uh, impeding her performance is to say that women's athletes, uh, women athletes aren't really about athletics. It's really, you're kind of like in a minor league. We don't expect you to be that great anyway. That's what we watch the men for. For the women, you're there to, I don't know, be like role models for young women, make them feel good or whatever. And I, I think it's really disrespectful to female athletes. And I think this is kind of disrespectful to actresses in that, you uh we actually aren't going to criticize you as artists because what you really are is is like a self-esteem booster you know what i always find really inappropriate about um how like female athletes are um how they're expected to conduct their careers is that like you always see these like um magazine spreads that they do right where they have to like get dressed up in really beautiful gowns or like in very skimpy lingerie or whatever Mm-hmm. Um, in order to promote themselves as an athlete, I don't know why that was ever relevant. But like, you had to have this kind of sexy side to you as well, 
mm-hmm. that uh, like men either got implicitly by just playing the sport or didn't have to you know do except wearing a suit. Mm-hmm. So I don't know there's a, there's all this sexism that's always been in, involved there, right? That has not been resolved in any way. Yeah, well, I mean that that's like society's prob- problem in that there there's no real value we give to female uh, athleticness. I mean, we mm-hmm. give it like we're kind of impressed, but like a a male it's not athlete an equal never amount in any way. Yeah, like a male athlete by virtue of being like the best at whatever he does is given like the highest social value. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it doesn't matter if like LeBron James is good looking or not. Uh, he is LeBron James, therefore you, you know he is to be like worshipped. Sure. Whereas like a female equivalent of him, even like a like a Serena Williams in a sport where the women's version of a sport is actually quite popular, that's not automatic. I mean, famously like Maria Sharapova was always more popular than Serena, even mm-hmm. though she was way suckier. And it's because mm-hmm. like she was, uh, you know, a lot of people thought she was hotter. Yep. And those two are actually precisely the uh, female tennis players I think about when I think about how they had to like do, you know, like sexy lingerie shoots and shit in addition to being experts at their at their craft. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that that is a bias in society. But that also doesn't mean like you shouldn't criticize, you know, like if, if you see like a female athlete and she could obviously be her performance would be enhanced if she, you know, got in better shape. That shouldn't be out of bounds. Uh, similar with, <clears throat> I think this Carrie Mulligan thing, I think there is an understandable desire to push back against what is proven time and time again to be a very scummy industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, you can't then outlaw or commenting on an actress's well, appearance. He's basically when it commenting to the on the role. casting, which is like his issue with the movie, which mm-hmm. I think is perfectly fine. You know, casting matters. I mean, I, I complained the whole time about the lighting in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all fair game, right? Mm-hmm. It's what we're looking at. Can we do um, Dave Chappelle sticks and stones? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so another thing with a big discrepancy is Dave Chappelle sticks and stones. Uh, right now, it says ninety nine percent audience score, but only thirty percent critic score. Yeah, but listen to the uh, the amount of critics that chimed in to give it a uh, rotten rating of thirty five percent was seventeen. The audience score was ninety nine percent, with user ratings at forty thousand nine hundred ninety. So basically, audiences Jeez. really loved. Dave Chappelle Sticks and Stones show. And I think secretly, I, I really do think that um, critics actually do like it, but they're just afraid to say that he's a talented comedian because and they're afraid to talk about craft because of the um, the lack of political correctness of his jokes. You know, like they're afraid to be, um, they are very afraid to challenge the norms of of uh, the political climate that we're in right now because of fear of getting canceled. Like Dave Chappelle himself joked about it in his show. Like, you can't cancel me. You can't cancel <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He already canceled himself, uh, you know, like 15 years ago. Yeah, so it's like, what, yeah. what's the worst you can do to me? Um, exactly. <laughs> So they're basically grading his, I think that the lack of 17 critics, I think that what it says is that a lot of critics were afraid to chime in on this show. And then the ones who did chime in decided to like, get all upset about the lack of political correctness, where it's like, it's it's a stand up show, like how many of them are ever politically correct, that people actually enjoy? Comedy is yeah. supposed to be subversive, it's supposed to challenge the norms, you know? Which is what he does. Yeah, Liza, you said that they're not paying attention to his craft. And I think that's the ultimate issue for me is that it's a subordination of craft to message. Which, I mean, I think it's ideal if those two can intertwine beautifully. And I think that's that's all what we aim for. But when when you care more about the message than the actual craft, you just end up with a lot of garbage. That probably ends up Mm -hmm. hurting your cause in the long run anyway. Because five, ten years from now, when people aren't in that cultural moment anymore... They'll look back and be like, how do I, like, anything that gets like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm very suspicious of. Because, like, that means that there was probably some kind of external pressure on the critics to, remember when in Black Panther, when there was like that one critic who did not give a positive view and, and caused it to fall to like 99% of 100%, <laughs> how much hate he got? Yeah, wasn't, yeah wasn't, I remember wasn't that. Wasn't that guy, like, the, the guy who is known for always, like, com- being completely opposed to? Oh, Armand White? It yeah. might have been Armand White, but regardless, you know that nobody wanted to be that guy. No, or no, you, gal. yeah, you, you knew it was invincible. You but could that's, not see that sucks. That sucks because it's like, what yeah. is a film critic for then? Yeah, exactly. What is and your job? So 
yeah, if anything has 100%, I'm very suspicious. Um, Your job isn't that- to stand movies and make them, like, maintain, like, some sort of, like, mythical perfect 100% score just because it has, like, a popular message, you know? Well, I think I think that's a problem, though. I think a lot of them do think that's their job, that they're no longer the, like... Um, I have they're, they're- my theory about this critics versus audience argument. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. So um, I was actually thinking about critics back in the day when print publications were way more mainstream and they were way more populist. And it's because there were tons of print publications. Like if you think about it, magazines, newspapers, dailies, weeklies, every city and town had a local paper, like even like some small town, like some small podunk town near me, um, like Dundalk, for example, they had the Dundalk Eagle, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and even that newspaper would have a daily, a weekend and a weekly edition. So that meant that there were tons of jobs for writers like film critics. And now there are no publications and there's even fewer jobs available for someone like a film critic and those few positions that exist tend to go to some like Ivy League MFA graduate with very esoteric tastes in movies. It's not just some normal guy who's a columnist for like the Dundalk Eagle. He writes for a small town newspaper and he can relate to the movie tastes of his readers much better. You know, so so I think that back in the day when there was print, uh, critics were just, they were way more populist and they could, they understood what the audiences would be looking for. And they, they thought like the audience and like critics care a lot more nowadays about whether or not the audience agrees with them because if the audiences don't care about a critic's opinion, their already precarious job is in jeopardy. So publications, they need clicks. So what's to stop them from hiring like some uh, non, you know, some movie reviewer with like a high TikTok or Twitter following, and they can bring with them their large audience. So critics are now writing from a moral high ground rather than writing about craft or writing about storytelling. It's how they keep themselves in business and shielded from criticism. It's all just job protectionism. So like they're shouting at their audiences for not agreeing with them in a very elitist, I know better than you way. Like there was these online screaming matches over Joker, for example, um, a winter of a Christmas day of New York, um, of 2019, New York Times writer Janet Maslin, she wrote about the movie Little Women and said that there was a Little Women problem that's very real. And she says that she was very (laughs) alarmed because she had three male friends who usually trust her film criticism that they either refuse to see it or they probably won't have time. And she's basically saying that because audiences decided to watch 1917, Uncut Gems, and Itman 4 instead, because they were all open on Christmas Day, that little women must be some sort of victim of misogyny. When it's like, we, like little women has been remade, has been adapted into a movie so many times. Like everybody already saw the one in the 90s with Winona Ryder and Christian Bale. And it, mm-hmm. like so many, even more people have read the book. Yeah. Wait, what, what, was the, what was the context with this Janet Maslin article? Was it was she doing a? She was upset the, that Little Women. She was upset uh, that people didn't want to watch Little Women. Yeah, um, I, I understood because they what, wanted what, to see other movies instead, and they weren't even be, giving it a chance. But was that meant to be a review of Little Women, or was that meant to was that just commentary on what had happened around the movie? Commentary on what had happened around the movie. Okay, okay, because I was like that was a that was a review of the movie. It's like it doesn't feel like that's a job of a you know a critic to talk about like the the stuff happening around the movie and whether or not it was successful, right? They should be talking about the movie mm-hmm. itself and the craft and yeah, so on. She was upset that it wasn't on its way to being like the number one movie of the week or something or like, you know, breaking box office records. Yeah. Eliza, lots of good points you said. I, I want to try to address all of them. I think you're definitely right about the, the death of the local movie critic because that person, his like or her constituent was the people around them. So they were representative of that movie taste. Whereas nowadays, everyone probably just like lives in LA or New York. They're all floating around because uh, they're all just writing for online publications. So they're mm-hmm. all much more homogenous. They come and- from wealthy families. They go to the same elite schools and they bring with them their very esoteric elite tastes that the public yeah. just doesn't really have. And the question is like, who are they writing for, right? Because the local critic, uh, his paper's circulation is probably just like, you know, the town or wherever mm-hmm. he or she mm-hmm. lives in. Whereas if you are... Uh, a critic nowadays, your your audience is basically Twitter and probably even more so other critics. You're writing for other critics, and you see this when 
like there's kind of like a bad movie comes out and then every critic is on twitter trying to out snark and out out uh, <laughs> clever each other and it's like it's obviously they're just doing this for themselves they're not doing it really for the audience but, but they don't even have a lot of room to like out you know outsmart each other right because they no, have to they all kind sound of the same yeah say they sound this not just the way they sound but also like the the consensus has to be the same yeah, right. so it, it's essentially a party, and you're not invited, but you get to gawk at them and, and uh, want to be them. And and Liza, you're totally right in that their jobs are very precarious. So even if they dissent internally, they can't afford to say anything because those get easily replaced by the latest, uh, you know, English uh, PhD grad graduate or something. Yeah. So they got to keep up appearances at all costs, pretend that The Last Jedi was like the number one Star Wars movie of all time or whatever. And it, it's... It's they're no longer talking to the audience, and I think I, I mean critics have always been elitist. Let's let's be real about that. But I think even more so yeah, now. I, more so now because I would say that back then, like when I used to read like City Paper, which is an alternative weekly in Baltimore, or I read the Baltimore Sun, and then I'd read like the Towson Patch or like whatever, like some local newspaper. It's like you you can still very much relate to what they're saying because they know the audience. It's like, hey, this is a movie. You guys should check it out. I think that you, my audience, my small audience in this town, I think that you guys would like it based on these merits. Mm-hmm. I also wonder how much the the modern critic sees him or herself as like a like a teacher, almost like a preacher. And there's this I, I think that they, they pride to- themselves on not being like the rest of middle America. Like I am so much yeah. better than you because I'm an expert. I'm so credentialed. I got my MFA from like Yale. You know, I went to Yale Drama. What do you know about acting? What do you know about movie making? Yeah, I think critics have always been elitist, but I think they were elitist in a in an artistic sense. They thought they were the ones who would, you know, watch every movie ever made um, and, and be obsessed with like the fine details of, you know, what kind of shot this was. And they were snobby in that regard, whereas I think more critics nowadays are snobby more in the moral sense. They actually yeah, probably don't yeah. care that much about craft, especially since if you are like a film nerd, you're going to have to... Uh, be a fan of a lot of movies that were made by straight, rich, white, old guys or whatever. I can't believe how many film critics I read on Twitter that like they have never seen like these major, major movies, uh, game changing movies from like the 60s and 70s, you know? Yeah, and I think they pride themselves on that. They don't and- watch that many movies. It's like, are are you like, are you just some like, I don't know. Like, what is your job to be like some social justice activist, or are you a movie writer? Well, yeah, I, I th- know movies. So, so do you guys think that movie critics actually have like influence on box office results? No, and I think that's what's I, really. I think that's what makes them mad. Scaring them is that they don't. Yeah, this is a kind of interesting contrast to uh, video games, where there's obviously a big kind of critical like critical role as well. Where video games like their their revenues are you know made or broken by the Metacritic scores basically, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, like entire bonuses, like bonus structures for executives and for even like employees, is based on the score they get from critics, the average score. So it's interesting that it's it's still aligned there. But you're saying with movies, it's not, and therefore these critics are kind of like influencing. They have some other sort of capital, right? Aside from just like affecting money streams going to studios and whatnot. I mean, just look at Joker. That was everyone, yeah, like yeah, all the critics yeah. wanted that movie to fail, but it did yeah. so well. And I think that's why uh, the critics are doubling down on, say, forcing Variety to issue an apology because that's mm-hmm. that's the thing they can control themselves. They can police mm-hmm. themselves. They can't police the audience, especially mm-hmm. I think with games. Maybe because the games are require a more upfront financial investment. They're more expensive than the average movie, especially now that movies are all streaming. Um, so if you're a gamer, you don't want to spend like 70 bucks on a movie. Oh, yeah, a yeah, yeah. That yeah. sucks. Yep. Whereas with like a movie, yeah, like $15 is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's not nothing, but it's less than 70 True. I think that, Philip, what you said about video games is very similar to like horror movies. Oh, Where it's like very in- much based on audience scores. Yeah. Yeah, because audiences are going to... determine gonna- success. Yeah, because your, your enjoyment from it comes from participating in it in it like mm-hmm. more directly as a interactive audience member rather than a movie where you know you can have different kind of subject subjectivity to it right like a jump scare is a jump scare if it's well done you're gonna enjoy mm-hmm. it right uh it's already like a, um, a less prestigious genre so like yeah you know audiences are looking for like a thrill ride you know they're just looking for a popcorn movie and critics really like 
they like movies like uh, Robert Eggers' The Witch. I don't know if you guys saw that, but it has a critics rating of 90% fresh and then audiences uh, didn't like it very much and it's all the way down at 52%. Was that because it was like a slow burn horror, psychological horror? Or well, I think that it's also because the dialogue is so like, um, you know, it's like the 1600s. <laughs> yeah. And and there's not much dialogue. So when they do talk, they talk like people in the 1600s. And there's a lot of symbolism that I think that most um, populist audiences, like they just, they don't understand how to read that stuff. The the critics critics are like, oh my God, the amount of research and and, and like thinking that went into the writing. Yeah, I I hear you on that. Yeah. I can't always predict this stuff, but um, like some of the movies I also love have been. totally trashed by audiences but loved by critics but i usually use my family as a testing ground for movies like <laughs> my dad really likes horror movies like uh, like saw hostel the ring uh-huh. he likes every movie that's put out by that studio the asylum you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. um for 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 the audience uh the, the asylum is a movie studio that put out sharknado and also uh, puts yeah. out movies <laughs> like um They'll, they'll put out like Sharknado versus like Mega Crocosaurus, you know, <laughs> just the, the total movies. mishmash of like yeah. B movies. Yeah. So I, I went with him to see Midsommar and an hour into it, I looked over and he's just straight snoring and he doesn't wake <laughs> up until the last 40 minutes. And I didn't really uh, like Midsommar either. But even when like afterwards, when we talked about it, I pointed out the strings. It has really good symbolism and the visuals. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of shrugged it off and he said he didn't understand any of it. It's not fun. He doesn't care. Yeah. But but that's the kind of thing that like critics who are defending themselves and, and their their occupation would say like, you know, we're we're not the average person who just like watches a movie for general entertainment and understandability. Like we're here to like look at and criticize the like the 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 artistry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, that, that's the thing. That's the oh, I, I, I did you have more to say to that? But I no, to I, I just think that like people are not necessarily watching movies for artistry all the time, right? Well, not for horror movies. Certainly, they're just popcorn movies. It's like watching yeah. Die Hard for artistry. Yeah, but the thing is, I think there is a role for the movie critic to be that expert because if they are not an expert or hold themselves in any kind of high regard, and why the hell should anyone pay you more mm-hmm. than the average online person who does it all for free? But I think they're doing it in the wrong way because I think the critic has a role in fighting against uh, just like the public impulse. It has to be a balancing act because yeah. I also don't believe in this like Netflix algorithm bullshit of just giving the audience whatever it wants because i do think there has to be some pushback against that and i think that's the balance between the audience and the critic what it should be like the critic is the person who is um just cares more than everyone else and just sees more and and um just kind of obsessive to 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 some maybe even to a fault but that is the natural balance you need against the audience i think the problem with the modern critic is that they actually don't have much of an artistic sensibility they care no, more about the message the mm-hmm. meta narrative so it's like the worst Politics. of both worlds yeah. <laughs> they're snobs, but uh, they're like, I don't know, artistically uh, stunted. So it's like- Wait, so, so, so in, in this new world that we're in, where there's a lot more streaming, where critics, you know, don't like they all kind of come from these credentialed backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. Should we as moviegoers trust critics still? Uh, as Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. As I said, I see I see Rotten Tomatoes and I see something at like 199%. I'm immediately suspicious. Like nothing can be that good. That's like Okay, once what a- about never, rarely, sometimes, always with 99%? 99%. It's you like, loved that movie. I did love that movie, but it's it's like how – I don't know. That discrepancy is just – I really liked it too and I felt like 99 was a little bit <laughs> – It's a little too high. Cause Where then, would you yeah, put it, it? Where would you put it then? Like 85 no, I would put it probably in like the low 90s, which I think is probably the highest the movie should get. There should be enough variety of critics where you do get a decent sampling of the people who were like bored by this movie. They can't all be like people like Philip and me in terms of taste, <laughs> which is how you end up with like a 9900% rating. I okay, where it, would you put Lost in Translation, one of your favorite movies? Again, of all time? I, I think you know low nineties. I, I think at I think at that point, it, it's like getting ten more points on the SAT scores. Like, who really cares if you're already that high? Mm. But yeah. I, I think it's healthy to see some uh, like dissent among critics because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as I said, mm-hmm. nothing should be one hundred percent. It should be like once in a generation type of thing. We have like great inflation. So would you say that movies that are ranked somewhere in the middle, like let's say? 
uh, not the middle because that's too low, but let, let's say like a like a sixty nine seventy one percent. Like, would you find those those movies to be the most trustworthy to watch? Uh, like, I, I don't know if it's that, the most that shows like actual descent. I I would say in an ideal world it would be in in this climate. Like, I, I have no idea. I, I think that the stack the deck is stacked, so it's hard to tell. But I, I think in an ideal world, most good movies should be kind of like in the the eighties to like low nineties range because most like most critics should really like it but there should be some critics who be like hey you know what i saw something that others didn't and then that their opinion should be allowed so i can't really say in this current world what the score i most because i do love some stuff that is rated extremely high but i, I don't think they deserve that score because no nothing really should okay this is going to be a little bit controversial what's the lowest you'll go but... on a rotten tomato score well, I, I've seen well, like the you'll room. actually watch the movie. But I've seen be, the room, so but there's cult it, hits, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I, I think anything. I think anything. Maybe like sixty. I, I I will. I will judge as possibly misunderstood. Like I, it's actually good, but possibly misunderstood. Anything below sixty, I'm probably thinking this is probably just legit bad, and I might watch it because uh-huh. it's fun to watch bad stuff. But. Yeah. I, I would have given hope up hope that it's actually any good. If it's like somewhere rated between like thirty and fifty, but like the the genre and the premise is interesting, like if it's like an action movie, like a kung fu film maybe, or like a horror movie, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. it could be really campy. Mm-hmm. It could be still fun to watch. Yeah, if like the, you know, if the setting and the actors or whatever uh, are interesting, I'll, I'll still watch it. Right, mm-hmm. it's more than just mm-hmm. a number. Um, I was gonna say maybe it'd be interesting to for Rotten Tomatoes and other sites to have like a um, discrepancy score. Like the difference between audience versus critic, right? Put that up, up front and center, because um, that might show like a controversial film, or or maybe uh, uh, this is a little bit too geeky, but like a standard deviation. <laughs> so like, what was the what was like the 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 disagreement between uh, critics? Like, was it big or not? Might also highlight uh-huh. highlight interesting movies too. So, well, Philip, I'm sure as you know, the the people are extremely good at interpreting stats. So, I'm sure, they will understand <laughs> what the hell that means yeah. and not twisting them to their own narrative. Look, we're having a hard time interpreting like a zero to one hundred score. So, like, you know, why not? Why not put more interesting <laughs> things in there? I think a, a big standard deviation is bad, right? That means not good, like not a good sampling. That's all you, I really know. You want them to agree that it's good or agree that it's bad. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, not exactly that, because then look at the Last Jedi. Did we mention this that that Rotten Tomatoes has their own like podcast about pe- when people don't agree with the Rotten Tomatoes score? Yeah, we we listened to it uh, a bit in preparation for this. They don't really quite talk about the actual critics versus audience issue. They, I think, home in on movies that had a big discrepancy and re-review it uh, to get their like second thoughts. But I don't think they actually address. The, the, the meta narrative yeah like why they're like a tiebreaker podcast yeah. sort of mm-hmm. yeah but uh yeah i was hoping for for more from that but but it's interesting that they acknowledge that this is a phenomenon right like mm-hmm. we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't mm-hmm. come up with this first um mind you that podcast just came out end of last year so uh pretty recent understanding that there's some funky stuff going on with with uh, critics and audiences to, to wrap it all up what will the wall street bets version of movie <laughs> criticism look like i i don't know i, I yeah, I think uh, I just some, can't wait. I just can't it. wait for them to make a movie about Wall Street bets. It's gonna be great. <laughs> well, haven't they already? The Big Short. No, this is this is a little bit. This is a little or bit. Or do different. you mean about this particular this particular situation. incident? Yeah, yeah. Don't make Soderbergh do it then. You know, he's really good at those genre movies, and he always gets lots of movie stars. Okay, uh, so I think that about wraps it up. So thank you, audience, for joining in, and we'll be back next week with another episode. So have a good February, I guess, when it, when this comes out. All right, see ya. Bye, everyone.